Welcome, fellow crime addicts, to our weekly CA meeting. I'm Kylie. And I'm Tay. Grab a cup of coffee. And and let's let's get get our fix. Hey addicts, in this week's episode, we are diving into part two of the grim sleeper while getting our caffeine intake from actually an energy drink mix from our local coffee shop. We love to support and shop local and encourage you to do the same. Next time you go to your local coffee shop, we would encourage you to try something new and branch out. You never know what you might find. You might love it. This week, we are shouting out Esther D, Rachel G, and theartofcrime.ca. They've liked, commented, rated, shared, reviewed, or donated. So thank you guys so much. We are so grateful for all of your guys' support. For your chance to get a shout out on our next episode, please donate, like, follow, rate, review, or share across all social media platforms. You can find us at Crime Addicts Pod on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and IG, or at crimeaddictspodcast.com. On our website, you'll find a spot for our addicts where you can submit case recommendations. There is also a pretty amazing donate button. And if you're an Amazon shopper, click our Amazon link and it will redirect you to the Amazon site or app. Simply add your items to the cart and check out. The process will help support our show and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So jumping right in where we left off last week, after six years of waiting, three and a half months on trial, and one day of jury deliberation, on August 10th, 2006, the Superior Court Judge Kathleen Kennedy sentenced Franklin to death on each count, naming the individual victims. In each case, Judge Kennedy told him, quote, you shall suffer the death penalty. Judge Kennedy said she had struggled throughout the case to understand what motivated Franklin, Quote, it doesn't matter why, she said. There could never be a justification for what you have done, end quote. As relatives of the victims looked on, some of them in tears, Judge Kennedy said to Franklin, quote, this is not a sentence of vengeance, it's justice, end quote. Hours after the sentencing, attorney Amster released a written statement decrying the death penalty in California as a pointless waste of tax dollars, quote, Considering the outcomes are often the same since the inmates will almost certainly die from causes other than execution, the only significant difference is the millions of dollars wasted on a death row verdict, end quote. Franklin maintained his innocence in all charges brought against him, so DNA and witnesses may be the only means to solve any of the unsolved crimes. He served his time out of San Quentin State Penitentiary in California. On March 28, 2020, Franklin was found dead in his cell. His cause of death has never been publicly released, but there were no signs of trauma and was speculated to be due to natural causes. Franklin's defense attorney during his trial released a statement regarding the killer's death. He criticized prosecutors' choice to seek the death penalty against his late client and suggested those resources would have been better, quote, utilized to uplift young girls of color like Franklin's victims. End quote. But, he said, 
quote, as Lonnie Franklin's attorney, I completely respect the jury's determination that he was guilty of the most heinous crimes. And to the victims' families, I sincerely hope that the end of Franklin's life brings some peace into theirs, end quote. Franklin's death while awaiting execution is not unusual for California's condemned inmates. Only 13 inmates have been executed in the state since capital punishment was reinstated in 1978, with dozens of others dying of natural causes or suicide. In some cases, including Franklin's, the cause of death remains under investigation. There are 694 inmates currently on death row in California. That's a lot. That is a lot. And I was looking at these numbers over the years when we were doing our research. And I saw that I think even the year before it was like 700 and something. So that attorney, although he's like kind of a piece of shit and for saying some of the things that he said, like I just don't agree with a lot of the things and the way that he chose to represent this case, which I feel like it's kind of an ultimate loss anyway, but he didn't have to take the case on anyway. He did make a valid point in that like people do die on death row for any other cause outside of actually being executed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just to make sure that they don't get out for any other reason. Exactly. So no tears shed, unfortunately, on that. Exactly. So now that we know who Franklin is and what happened, we wanted to read and take a quick look at the profile created before his identity was discovered. So this is how Franklin was profiled by the authorities while he was still on the lam. Franklin was profiled as a male based on witness accounts, the sexual element of the crimes, and the DNA found at the crime scenes. He is African American, since serial killers tend to kill within the same ethnic group. His age range in 2008 was believed to have been between 45 and 55. He frequented areas with prostitutes and has a history of violence against women. He was likely a local resident, specifically living within 10 miles of the killings and or a worker in the southern Los Angeles area. He likely had a criminal record for assault and a history of having sexually transmitted diseases. He may have had low self-esteem or lack confidence, and the act of shooting his victims in the chest provided him the power that he craved. I would say that they were pretty spot on with that. I mean, obviously, we don't know about his sexually transmitted diseases, but... He probably definitely had that. But it's interesting to me that uh, that they were pretty spot on with, like, you know, his age and his history mm-hmm. and his criminal record and all of that. They were right about his sex, his race, and his residency. So it's just really interesting that they were so spot on. I love to yeah. see that. Yeah, same. So this week, I'm not going to read you an article, but instead, I'm going to read you the interview conducted in March of 2009 with Christine Pelisek of the LA Weekly. This was an extensive interview with Anitra Washington, the sole survivor of the Grim Sleepers attacks. Some of these facts have come up throughout this podcast, but are all compiled here and paint a good picture of who Franklin was and her experiences and encounter with him. She described him as a, quote, black man in his early 30s. He looked neat, tidy, kind of geeky. He wore a black polo shirt tucked into khaki trousers, end quote. She also described him as a thin, neat, polite, and well-groomed African-American guy. He owned an orange Ford Pinto with a white racing stripe on the hood. It looked like a Hot Wheels toy car, she quoted. He offered her a ride. After she refused, quote, he told me, 
That is what is wrong with you black women. You think you are all that, end quote. He was persistent. After some banter back and forth, she got into his car. She, quote, was impressed by the car's interior. The gear shift handle was memorable, pimped out with a ping-pong-sized marble ball. The inside was all white, with white diamond-patterned upholstery, end quote. When she mentioned a party, he deftly invited himself, and she said he was welcome to come. He then said that he needed to stop briefly at his uncle's house. They wound through residential roads in his sporty car, ending up on a street whose name she did not take note of. The polite stranger parked outside a mustard-colored house, partly obscured by hedges, got out, walked up to the house, briefly talked to someone inside, and returned about 10 minutes later. They began arguing when he suddenly pulled a small handgun out of his pocket on the driver's side of the Pinto and shot her in the chest as he drove along the residential street. The killer apparently documented his attacks with a Polaroid camera. She blacked out, but was startled awake by the brief flash of the camera. The man had taken her picture and sexually assaulted her. She remembers grabbing at him, and the two struggled. She pleaded to be taken to the hospital. He refused. Despite her half-conscious condition, she's almost certain he told her he couldn't take her to a hospital because he didn't want to get caught. This just paints a true picture of a dirtbag. <laughs> Complete dirtbag. He could give two craps about him. But you know what? A part of me feels like that Polaroid kind of helped keep her awake in the whole process and probably helped survive. Yeah, that flash probably did help her keep consciousness. You're right. And it's crazy because... Again, I just keep going back to like the fact that the only thing that he said in the whole trial was when he was frustrated that somebody thought that they recognized him. And you know, it's but he doesn't. Of... It's he's perfectly fine with the fact that there's a victim yeah. sitting here telling everybody what you did, and that doesn't even phase. No, not at all. It's kind of interesting to me though is his vehicle. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was presented as this neat and tidy, tidy guy. Mm-hmm. Like, well, most military men are, but he yeah. was super young. And it's not like he was in for a really long time. So it wasn't like he was ingrained with this structure in the military long enough for him to be like that forever when he's outside. Right. I mean, I don't know how far out of boot camp he was, but he was super young. Yeah. So he couldn't have been in that long, you know? And so even if he was in for a couple of years, mm-hmm. still, I feel like after being an adult, you know, 30 years have passed. I don't know how many of those engraved traits you have, you know, mm-hmm. as far as being super tidy and stuff. Maybe maybe they do carry on. But it's interesting to me because serial killers, notoriously, mm-hmm. try to fit in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Slide under the radar, not cause any attention. He's shooting women in his car and this they have white seats. Like, car. yeah. His orange pinto with a white stripe that stands out like a sore fucking thumb yeah like Mm -hmm. you want people to look at you right and look at the neighborhood he lived in like a super tidy single family houses i mean he had a family i mean he and probably was was living like a double life like he you know yeah he wanted to keep that structured look for his family, his wife and his kids, right. but then he lived like a double life and wanted to be this crazy person serial killer, but didn't have the means to have a separate car, so he just had to do what he had to do. And can you imagine cleaning up that blood in his car? But what was old boy doing with that kind of car anyway? Like, where did where did he get those finances to get all that? You know what I mean? Pimp it out, make all those modifications to it. I mean, it just makes me wonder. I mean, he did have 
charges for possession stolen property and he was a mechanic you know so maybe he did some of those upgrades himself but i do know like i'm pretty sure he could have done some trading you know i'll buy your car uh you know for cheap for extra work or something you know i've heard of that before we've done that before you Uh know personally i know what that's like so that's possible because he was such a car fanatic and mechanic and stuff and that was his hobby and i understand it but i still am like so you live in this boring ass neighborhood and you're super tidy and mr i've got all my shit together because i can get away with things for 14 years yet i'm gonna turn and shoot you in my car blood all over my seats like (laughs) i don't understand that thought process to me or those are contradictory Mm -hmm. and i can't understand how he thought that was appropriate definitely Okay, so I know we had some quotes from some of his neighbors that came out, you know, when it's all crime scene taped off and they're doing their investigation and stuff and the victims came forward and had their chance to speak up and stuff like that. But his family never did. Mm -hmm. And they, to this day, are just flying low under the radar and are not in the media or the public. I believe when I did, uh, when I was looking into his son a little bit more, I believe that his last arrest was in like 2009 and they were for firearm charges. So ever since 2009, he's been flying pretty low, it appears. So I don't know what his daughter's doing. I couldn't even find her name. I mean, they're they're flying really low under the radar. Yeah. But a friend of Franklin's for, I mean, they were friends for like over 40 years. His name was Fernando Cole. He later came forward and told police that Franklin was always showing him pictures of women that looked like drunk or dead or something and said he was suspicious, but he didn't think that he was killing anyone. So Cole said, quote, his first wife, she was on crack cocaine. He had given her money to pay the bills, but he came home. There were youngsters in the house and she was there smoking crack. That's what set him off. And obviously this is him speculating that that's what triggered Franklin's aggression towards women. Then he kind of proceeded to think that Franklin was using drugs to lure many of his victims to his car. So it's interesting enough to talk about because this is his friend for over 40 years. So you would think that he has some insight, right? So you almost Mm -hmm. want to believe him or at least look into this. Mm -hmm. But then when the investigators did do that, they couldn't corroborate any of it. It was a story that nobody else had come forward about. They had never been able to even link the fact that he had a wife prior to Sylvia. They couldn't find any record of that. And With kids running around. Right. Like, who are these kids? Yeah. And um, it also doesn't explain Franklin's rape for the two women in Germany in 1974, because that was 10 years before his first known murder in the United States. So you want to believe his friend or think that he at least has some insight or some good ideas, but it's Maybe like... Maybe he's got something going on, too. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't corroborate any of that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And another fun fact I found, I think you'll like this one. So he was sentenced, right, on August 10th of 2016. If you do the math, that's almost exactly 31 years after the body of his first confirmed victim, Deborah Jackson, was found on August 15th of 1985. Wow. So, I mean, we can speculate that maybe it was exactly 31 years since her actual death, you know, because we don't know how many days it took for them to actually discover the body. Right. But yeah, almost 31 years to the day from the first time that he murdered until he was sentenced to death. 
That is insane. That's a really weird like coincidence, right? Yeah. I don't really believe in coincidences, but, but that's really one. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the last really, you know, fact or whatever that I was able to find in the research that I wanted to share was that in 2014, a British filmmaker, Nick Broomfield, created a documentary film about Franklin. It was titled Tales of the Grim Sleeper. I didn't actually find this and watch it, but if any of our listeners do and have a review on how it is or if they think that it's accurate or that it correlates with ours or anything like that, please let us know because I'm actually interested and I'm attempting to locate the documentary film, but I just haven't yet, so let us know. Okay, and moving into our discussion questions, I want to talk to you a little bit about his wife Mm. because to me... I'm having a really hard time believing that she knew nothing or had no suspicions. And the reason is, is because like you were kind of saying before, you know, he was living a double life, Mm -hmm. but also when they found those pictures, a lot of them were on their property. I mean, some of them were in the car, but a lot of them were on their property, like Mm -hmm. in the backyard, in the garage, in that trailer that's in the backyard. I mean, how in the world did we get victims at his home and she didn't know anything about it, yet there's no trace of them at the home other than these pictures that they find, you know, 30 years mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, she ends up staying loyal to him throughout the whole thing. So my first thought is, oh, that's to make sure that she doesn't incriminate herself, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, she raised two kids. Mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. and has nothing to say about it. You know what I mean? I can understand where it would be hard to, you know, you you are married to a man for many, many years. You think you know him so well. You love him. You're a devout Christian wife. Good for you. Some This comes forward. You're going to stay by him. Innocent until proven guilty. You know, mm-hmm. I totally get that. Respect that and everything. But it seems wild that she didn't have an angry hair, you know, Mm -hmm. come out where she's like, you know, I'm going to go after him or I'm going to turn on him. I'm going to tell the police what I know. I'm going to do anything to me. If you don't do that, that's because you have something to hide. I mean, maybe it's shame. I don't know. What do you think? I think a lot of it has to do with her being a devout Christian wife. Okay. So for example, like when they got married, this was what late seventies, maybe early eighties, right around that time. And Within that time, you know how like right now in society, it's kind of like encouraged more for women to be strong. And in that time, you know, like marriages, when you were married, the women, I think it was more well known back then to be obedient to your husband. Mm. Right. So and being Christian, you follow or any religion, I would assume that you follow, you know, for Christians, it's you follow the Bible, what what you know, your God says what you need to do. And within that religion, you submit yourself to your husband. Right, right. So if her husband comes home and says, don't you dare step outside. Don't you dare go in the garage. Don't you dare open that fridge. Right. She's not, she's going to, she's not going to do it. She could easily say, so I don't think that it was really her knowing and not doing anything. I genuinely think that she did not know because maybe there was a strain in her that was afraid of her husband. That's a lot too. Like that's happened a lot. Yeah, you're you're right. You know, to where their husband, I mean, it hasn't been come out, but he could have been verbally abusive. He could have been very like demeaning to her and very strict on her to make sure that 
she stays in her place. Right. You know, and her being Christian, she's going to submit. She's going to say, okay, this is what my husband is saying. I need to follow it. I have kids to take care of. This is my role, you know, and not to say any of that is wrong, but I do think that that is kind of where she was at all up until he was literally proven guilty. And then at that point, it was almost like a chain being broken. And she's like, I'm done. Like, I'm released. I'm not a part of this anymore. Yeah, I'm free. I have my kids to take care of. I have my daughter to protect because Mm -hmm. I think that she really protected her daughter. That's Mm -hmm. why we don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Her son, I think, you know, got into a little bit of trouble, probably followed behind his father's footsteps, seeing his like strong presence in their house. Because I know for damn sure he was like telling her not to look in those places. Right. For sure. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. The dynamic back then in marriages were not very equal. Right. You know, right. as what they are now. Right. So if like my husband today tells me don't look in the fridge, I'm be like, why? Right. Like, what's in there? Right. You know, but back then they'd be like, OK, I'm like, walk away. Right. You know, I think that just kind of comes with like the error of when you were married, what was the norm in your society at that point? Right. OK, those are all like really good points. And some of them I didn't even think about. So you're right. It could be all of those things. And. I was reading that where she's at now, I mean, she's been flying under the radar, right? And you even said that they had taken a step back after he was convicted. Mm -hmm. And I think I can see that whole chain link break freedom thing, like the picture that you're describing. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to figure out where she's at today and what she's doing and see if anybody knew anything. And I couldn't find any real leads, but... I'm not trying to violate her privacy either, but it was speculated that she's had some really, really good jobs over the years, like even while she was raising the kids and stuff, Mm -hmm. that would make somebody assume that today at her age that she is, you know, probably living a pretty comfortable life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in retirement, doing what she needs to be doing. And like you said, she was able to protect and conceal her daughter's identity. And and it appears that she always put her kids first, you know. So... I do have to give her that credit, and based off the jobs that she had, it sounded like she was a pro-social member of society and a good community member, Mm -hmm. especially with the way that the public described her husband. You know, if maybe he even had her fooled, Mm -hmm. we don't know. Maybe he was controlling. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe maybe he was manipulative in the background, but she wasn't even realizing it. Yeah. So it's like he's almost kind of... I kind of feel like that's more what it was. Yeah, like he's almost like controlling her, but she doesn't even realize it. Until so right she at thinks, that moment. Yeah, so she yeah. thinks, oh, like I have this great life, and then she realizes everything is a lie, mm-hmm. you know. And that could also be why she stuck with him for so long, because right. she truly didn't believe it right. until the facts were laid out in front of her. Mm-hmm. And then it just was like a wake-up call, mm-hmm. and, you know. Right. That's crazy. I mean, I do want to point this out because since we don't know, Mm -hmm. there is another side of this that she could have been involved. She could have known more. And that's the reason that she didn't come forward and speak to the police because she didn't want to be drugged through the mud. Clean his car when he got right. (laughs) Or because she she could have not done anything but known. And just talking to the police, they could have said, okay, well, great. Can you take a polygraph? And she's like, uh, you know, almost like envisioning some type of movie. I don't even know what this movie is called. Like, but I can almost envision like on like in an old colonial style home Uh and you have, you know, your husband like pulling into the driveway super, super late at night. And the wife is just kind of like standing there behind the curtain and just looking and like knowing that he did something, not knowing what it is, not really wanting to know. 
but knowing. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's kind of almost what I'm in pic- envisioning too. Like mm-hmm. maybe the opposite of maybe she wasn't 100% like completely innocent. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could have come out and said something mm-hmm. because maybe she did notice like he was pulling into his driveway like super late at night right like, sneaking into the garage and then with stuff and then coming out into the house mm-hmm. like going straight to shower or just right. like you know kind of sketchy stuff like maybe she could have seen all this right because as a woman mm-hmm. i know i stay up late at home cleaning my house mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. and so she could be up late cleaning 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 her husband's not home i'm just gonna keep cleaning until he comes home mm-hmm. you know right. to just kind of see what's going on yeah I, f- I feel like it's, it would be hard for me to believe that she didn't know a single thing because if she didn't, why not tell the police that? You know what I mean? Yeah. But she never said a single thing. She didn't cooperate with them at all. She didn't say, I do know, I don't know. She didn't say nothing. So I mean, part of me like, is like, how come she didn't at least tell them what she did know if it wasn't so innocent, you know? Yeah. I just think that she was so like submissive to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, that, that part is just like screaming out to me a lot. Right. So... That could go, I mean, we're completely up for speculation on this question because we have no idea. She's never come forward. She's never done an interview. She's never spoken to police. She's never done anything to ever, I mean, ever since, you know, she's never affiliated herself with him. You know, she just relocated to another part of California and started her life. I mean, Mm. you know what I mean? It it wasn't like this big thing happened. And it's crazy to me because something big did happen. You know what I mean? Like your husband murdered how many people? And you just have nothing to say and you just hide away. I mean, that's probably a really good way to go about it, you know, as far as peace and tranquility. And if that's what she needed Mm. in her life at that time, you know, like you said, maybe she had been struggling with a lot of things for a lot of years and divorce wasn't a part of her religion and Mm. she had to deal with whatever cards were dealt, you know, and maybe we don't know. Right. So I don't want to put her down, but I do want to point out that it could be more than what we know. Yeah. So that's possible. Uh, I, th- I think we're in agreement that we think it was more along the lines of her religion, the time and era that this was taking place, and possible manipulation going on and things like that. Maybe some issues going on in their marriage or something yeah. like that. So that's more the way that I lean, but it is possible. And we do have to consider the fact that she could have known more and that's why she didn't come forward. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then my second discussion question that I have for you is kind of a multi-parter, okay? Okay. So the first part is, has he killed others? Yes. Okay, how many? The limit does not exist. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Pull Mean Girls in here. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I really don't think there is a limit. I don't think we're ever going to know how many he killed. No, I don't think we'll ever know either. Um, So we do think that he killed others. I'm in agreement with you there. So the next part would be, who were they? And it would be women in the same lifestyle right because they are the ones that are easier to they're more fall vulnerable. off the face of the earth yeah. too there's not a lot of people looking for them unfortunately mm-hmm. their family typically probably knows them as being wanderers for right. multiple days months years at a time and i will say though that i think that it would be a lot harder for him to obtain these victims as the years progressed yeah because you know what as much as I've watched SVU, that click, you know, when you're working mm-hmm. the streets, you're tight. You're mm-hmm. protecting your fellow person on the street with you half right. the time. So if people start not 
coming back. Yeah, they're not. They're going to remember this bright ass orange Pinto. Right. <laughs> you know, unless he starts pulling up in his freaking garbage truck. Right. I mean, that's another option, too. Right. Right. <laughs> Hey, baby, come and get in. <laughs> come get stank with me. Right. <laughs> I know. I, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think it's even the detectives think that he killed others. So yeah. I don't even think that's really up for he question. Did not, he did not stop. Like no. there, that hiatus is, does not, that limit does not exist neither. Yeah, I agree. It's not working. Yeah, we don't know exactly how many, of course. But I mean, I would like to say that we can safely assume that they are probably all within that demographic. Mm -hmm. But what's really frustrating to me is that we have the technology that we have today as we Mm -hmm. sit here and do this podcast and they have photo evidence and can't figure out who these people are. How can you not figure out who these people are? Well, I think that's where that part was where the prosecutor, he was stating that at some point it's just going to like reopen partially closed wounds right you know to like bring out these photos that were found and be like hey this person we might be able to associate with a serial killer but their families could have had closure years ago and then to see their photos emerge can just be like a crazy waterfall of emotion i get that but the other part of me is like but justice i know know what i mean (laughs) and you know what like i think that's the difference between a lot of people right in in earth sometimes they don't need to know we talked about this i think last week Mm -hmm. like sometimes people don't need to know right you know they they're like you know what they're gone we're we're somehow at peace with this and Mm -hmm. we need to move on with our lives Mm -hmm. but then other people kind of like us Mm -hmm. where we're like what happened yeah i want to tell me (laughs) step by step what happened Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't happen again Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and so there's lots of different people, but and not to say either one is right or wrong, Mm -hmm. but I think that's what sometimes has to come into play a lot, especially with like these, you can kind of say these are like cold cases for these individuals. You know, I would hate to be like a cold case detective and have to talk with families who basically have like, they don't want to talk about it anymore. And Mm -hmm. then you're coming to knock on their door again and be like, hey, yeah, some people might be happy with that. Some people might not want to do it. Right. You know? But first you have to be able to identify who that even was before you can go to their families. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were saying that they were working to try to figure out, you know, who was prostituting back in the day, who was Mm -hmm. pimping them out back in the day, who were the drug users back in the day. I mean, they were really trying to go the full extent of figuring out who to contact before they even knew who Franklin was. And I can only imagine that that would continue on heavily once they do have the pictures, you know, like who somebody out there can identify this person. We just have to find that person who can identify the woman in this photo Mm -hmm. so that we can get her the justice that she deserves. You know what I mean? Because just as you were saying that some people may not want to be on the other end of that, you know, having the police contact them, but you won't know until you try, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, like, again, justice, right? Mm-hmm. You can't pick and choose whose family's feelings you're going to try to mm-hmm. spare because, you know, I think, too, it would be hard knowing. I mean, if you could, like, look down on yourself in the afterlife or whatever the case may be and be like, man, like, there's an answer out there for my death and nobody's even looking. You know right. what I mean? Like. Yeah. And obviously, that's up to belief and stuff like that as far as, but it it would be disheartening if I had a family member that just randomly went missing, we reported them, and I never heard from them again, yeah. and nobody cared to even look. Like, yeah. that, to me, 
would be a lot harder to cope with than it would be to know what happened, even if it was only partial mm-hmm. information. You mm-hmm. have to know, is she alive? Is she dead? Is she here? Is she there? Yeah. You know, how did we end up in this predicament of that we don't know where she's at, you yeah. know? I think you don't report somebody missing because you don't want to know where they are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to me, I mean, I understand that this was the lifestyle and a lot of these people were not documented. We do know that some of his victims were like super, super young, you know, like in their mm-hmm. teens. And obviously there wasn't social media back then. So that would be a lot harder to track those sp- specific people down. And there were probably how many hundreds of thousands of cases of missing people reported in those three decades, you know, I totally understand that that is absolutely a tough job and I'm not diminishing that at all. But man, like, I just can't believe that with the science and technology that we have today, that we can't figure out who those women are and identify Mm -hmm. them in those pictures. Like, it seems like somebody's got to know. So my question, I've seen this on TV, um, so I don't know if it's true or not, but I almost wonder, so like with facial recognition, Mm -hmm. right? And everyone takes a photo for a driver's license or or just even like a state identification card. I don't know if those pictures had enough, you know, of their face to be able to do like a facial recognition search. But that would be kind of cool if like they would take those photos and run it through the system. I'm sure they have to. That pulls, you know, your license Mm -hmm. or your identification somehow within the state and then like check your points you know like how they check I think I saw it in like bones where they can check like the measuring of your eyes like Mm -hmm. the shaping of your nose like the size of like all that bone structure and stuff right and then they come up with matches and then from those matches it narrows it down Mm -hmm. you know well I think they can I I mean that's what I'm saying like we have so much technology Mm -hmm. now like how can we not identify honestly we probably could but unfortunately, there is so many cases out there. And right. there's not enough people in the department to there's work not. on it. Or funding. Or funding, especially nowadays. Okay, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Then I have one more discussion question for you today. And it has an explanation behind it. So okay. there was little media coverage throughout the slayings. And police kept their cards like super close to their chest, right? So some believe it didn't get the public coverage that it should have and public warnings due to the fact that the victims were black females. However, when approached with this speculation and these accusations from the public, you know, obviously there was like a lot of people that were really upset with the fact that they didn't release this information. Like they could have maybe prevented further victims had they been more careful, had, but how could they be more careful? Cause they didn't know yeah. that kind of stuff. But authorities response was always that they couldn't link these cases to one person initially. Like it took them a lot of years to figure out that these specific victims were all from one suspect because during this time, there were many, many other serial killers going after the same demographic of women. Yeah. And so, you know, and of all races, but you know, the same that they were drug addicts or homeless, you know, transients, they were sex workers, they frequented that specific area, all that kind of stuff. So they had 
a lot, a lot of cases. And we're able to narrow these ones down to him specifically, but not until many years later. So their response was that they didn't necessarily do that on purpose, but they didn't know what to warn. You know, it was right. just that era that there's a lot of serial killers out there. Everybody just be careful. You know, mm-hmm. it was hard to target that this specific serial killer was targeting specifically predominantly mm-hmm. African-American women. So that was kind of the debate that got thrown up, right? Right, Like the public was just outraged that had they had this information, it maybe could have prevented some other victims. And the police were like, well, we didn't know either, you know, kind of yeah, a thing. So yeah. I guess my question to you is like, could Franklin's longevity as a killer be attributed to the police indifference? I think one thing that even we need to remember, like, we love doing this podcast, we love crime, but I personally am not on the other side where I am a sworn in officer who is investigating and doing all these hands on work, right? So I don't know what they do all in the background. And I have, we have seen in a lot of researches with other cases that they withhold information for the safety of the public. Mm-hmm. Or they withhold information like what they're stating is they didn't have the whole truth. So if they just start coming out, I mean, there could be a lot of people who say, you're too early to profile. Like, this is racism or this is whatever else it could be. So I think, I don't think they did anything wrong personally. I think what they did was okay um, because, like you said, there were so many serial killers within this time. And what has happened in the past is if they were to come out with this information and if it wasn't full and in what they needed, if he was smart enough, he would have switched his tracks and started looking for somebody else Uh so that he can continue his Uh serial killing. And it wouldn't be linked to him. And then it wouldn't be linked Uh to him because then his profile changed because he knew what the police had on him. Uh So for me, no, I think what the police did was okay. Uh I think that You know, unfortunately, it was horrible that it took so long, but he was captured and I that that's kind of where I stand. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm okay with them not releasing information that they don't have. I mean, I can understand living in that community at that time, feeling frustrated, like, why didn't the police tell Mm -hmm. me this before kind Mm -hmm. of a thing, especially as like a victim family, you know, I could definitely understand why they would feel that way. But once you learn that they didn't even know, right, you know, it's hard to hold them accountable for that. But I think I'm okay. And on the same page as you, as long as once they did find out that they did release it, Correct. you know, that they didn't just hold it because they didn't think right. it was important right. or they didn't think it was as important as somebody right. else. Like, right. They true. We like I would hope to believe that they treated every individual equally, right. that there is a piece of shit out there, regardless of the color. Mm-hmm. And they are attacking a human being mm-hmm. who deserves life. Mm-hmm. And that's how they should look at it. Mm-hmm. Not the color. Mm-hmm. Not anything else. Not yeah. that, oh, he's only uh, going after prostitutes. Uh, that can wait. No, they're no. human. Yeah. And they need, this needs to be resolved. Right. Like, period. I mean, that's obviously the ultimate goal, right? Mm-hmm. So I would hope that that's the case, too. And if that's not the case, then I don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> then I don't agree with the fact yeah. that they didn't release the information. But based off the statements that we have, that's the information that was provided. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was kind of interesting and it was a good point to make because there was a lot of outrage at the time you know Mm -hmm. so it is something I think to address but once you learn however many years later that they finally were able to create the profile that they had and the profile was like spot on right 
and that, you know, they were releasing the sketches of what he looked like and all of that kind of stuff. They, they released that information once they had it and re-released it, you know, they, yeah. and they tackled it once they had mm-hmm. the information yeah. following leads going all the way to Georgia and Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would hope the same they, as you that they treated the case with equality mm-hmm. and regardless of the victims, they were doing everything that they could to figure out which victims and all these bodies turning right. up or missing pe- person reports are related to one person. And to add to that point, like this was Los Angeles, California mm-hmm. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cocaine epidemic. Y- yeah. And how many other serial killers are out there mm-hmm. right now? We just talked about this. There probably wasn't enough people in their district to work on these cases Mm -hmm. you know they have bodies coming up left and right left and right left and right drug overdoses what they think right Mm -hmm. drug overdoses missing people like they're like bombarded police chiefs changing attorney generals changing detectives coming and going that whole time frame like i feel like that era was very hard i agree yeah the fact that we have any answers is honestly a miracle yes definitely Side note, I do want to mention this. If anybody, you know of anybody or it, hopefully it never happens, but if someone goes missing or dies and you want to know answers, I would probably advise to hire a private detective. You'd get answers a lot faster and you can go through a lot of alleyways that the department unfortunately won't be able to go through. Yeah. And people take you more seriously like, oh, you really actually care about the person that went mm-hmm. missing, not because you reported them missing, but because you have your own private detectives yeah. and you're willing to. And I know like a lot of it is an issue with money, but I have heard of a lot of pro bono private detectives, you know, just sure. try to reach out if you're hearing this and maybe one day, hopefully it never happens. But if you're in that position, please remember, go to a private detective and try to solve your case that way. Yeah, and somebody who has resources, like a retired, de- you know, yes. detective well, or something. Well, I've heard in podcasts, and I'm sure there's probably a lot out there, of retired detectives who turn to be pro bono private investigators. Mm-hmm. So just and keep the case be alive. that aware. Yeah. Keep it in the media. Be an advocate. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Don't stop, though. Yeah. We have the resources. We just have to use them, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, so we did a lot of discussion this week, and I feel like we could have gone on forever, but I want to quickly review the discussion questions. Where you will find these is posted on our Facebook page, so head over to Facebook, search for Crime Addicts Pod, like, follow, share, all the good stuff, and then scroll down past the Amazon link, and you will see discussion question for episode number 18, and the questions go like this. Number one. Why did Sylvia, Franklin's wife, respond to this situation the way that she did? Number two, has Franklin killed others? If so, how many? And who were they? And then number three is, could Franklin's longevity as a killer be attributed to the police indifference? We truly can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about these discussion questions this week. Thank you guys again for all of your support. We truly couldn't do this without you. Also, next week, we have a really big surprise for our Crimatics, so stay tuned. And with that, we will wrap up this week's episode on the neat and tidy garbage man who carried a lot of baggage. Come back next week, addicts, for another CA meeting. And until then, stay alive, stay alert, and stay caffeinated. caffeinated.